Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say... Goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what? I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Well, hello, and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer. And I am Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Welcome, welcome. If you would like to check out anything we mention on the show, you can visit our podcast, Forever 35. (laughs) You know, I've been done such a good job reading this copy, and I (laughs) messed it up. You can visit our website, forever35podcast.com, for links to everything we mention. We are on Twitter, at forever35pod. Instagram is at forever35podcast. And uh, there's a world of Forever 35 on Meta's Facebook, where you can find our group and the password is serums. You can also sign up for our newsletter, forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. goes out twice a month. And you can call or text us at 781-591-0390 and email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. Whoops. Sorry, I muted myself because I'm paranoid about the dog making 
noises. I'm in my office recording, but I have our puppy in here with me. And um, of course, every treat, every like toy she has, I think it's going to be quiet. And it's like crunch, 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 like bing bong. It's like just crazy. So it's not good for podcast recording, but for a variety of like family personnel reasons, the dog is in here with me today. So I apologize, Dory. I really hate creating an unprofessional atmosphere to this show, but sometimes, sometimes life just happens. You know what? Sometimes life just happens and you just got to roll with it sometimes. Well, shall we talk about rolling with things? Because I feel like you've had a real shitty hand and you mentioned it in our show notes. I'm curious if you wanted to to delve in. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you follow me on social media, this is old news to you, but I got some news last week that my paperback is not going to be published. It was supposed to be published June 28th, um, a year after my hardcover came out. And we had like approved jacket copy and like everything was like moving forward. And then I got an email Mm. from my editor that was like, um, because of like the printing crisis in publishing right now, which if you haven't heard about is like a very real thing that's been going on since basically the beginning of the pandemic, a couple of like big printing plants that used to print a lot of books for like major American publishers just closed down. And so there's been a lot of issues getting books printed and then like things like books, there were books that like actually fell into the ocean. (laughs) There was a, there was a container that had some copies of two new cookbooks that were supposed to come out in the next few months and the container fell off the ship and the books are like at the bottom of the ocean. That is pretty, really wild. So, and so they couldn't just like print new books immediately. So both books got pushed back by like months Anyway, so there's that factor. And then, so she was like, they've basically had to take like a really hard look at everything they're publishing. And essentially, it seems like if your book isn't like a huge bestseller, they're just sort of like, sorry. So, um, yeah, so that was like a real bummer. I, I talked to my agent about it and she was like, this has been happening. Like, you're definitely not the only one. Um, and it just, it sucks. So at first I took it super personally and now Mm. I'm taking it slightly less personally, but you know, and I said this on social media, but I just, I feel like it's important to just be transparent about, you know, disappointments and like when things don't go the way that you thought they were going to. And because especially on social media, it's like, very easy to think that everyone's life is like super duper when, you know, and you don't see the stuff that doesn't go right. And I think especially for anyone in a creative field, like there's just, I mean, the ratio of like disappointments to to good news, it's like very out of whack. Um, So yeah. So I just, you know, just wanted to share that and like, just talk a little bit too about how, you know, of course, in the grand scheme of things, like this is 
kind of an, in a relatively insignificant blip. Like we are in a global pandemic where, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in the United States have died. People are sick. People have long COVID. Like kids are wearing masks in schools. Like we're, you know, there are many bigger issues than the fact that my paperback is not coming out. But I do think like we can still acknowledge kind of personal disappointments and just register that like, yes, I can like both things can be true. I can be I can be sad about the state of the world, but I can also be sad about like this very individual thing that has happened to me. I think it would be weird if you were not sad. Thanks, Kate. I mean, I just I, like I agree with everything you said, and I don't even personally think you need to qualify it in the context of things, but I understand why and I do feel like there there is always a narrative or someone, you know, coming in to be like, "But you're blessed." And it's like, "Yes, but I'm also having a massive professional disappointment right now and Yeah. You know, I can, I, it's valid to be in those feelings and to, to grieve, you know, I mean, that's, there's like a a grieving of the expectation of what was going to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I also understand the feelings of, of taking it personally. I think it's so, it's so hard when you're in the business of making something and then having to sell the thing that you made. And I'm thinking about this also because I'm dealing with that right now. And it's very weird. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's hard for it not to feel personal um, because the thing that you created is so personal. Totally. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's just, you know, kind of a drag. And I would say, I, you know, and the other thing that I am bummed about is like I was excited for the paperback to come out partly because there are people who you know couldn't afford to buy it in hardcover yeah like totally you know I had initially like I wanted my book to be a paperback original like hardcovers are very expensive but for myriad reasons kind of out of my control um, it came out as a hardcover which is like great but there was always the promise of it also coming out as a paperback yeah. um, that is, you know, a more accessible format for people who want to read it, who don't want an ebook, who don't want an audiobook, but want to read it like on paper, but who can't, you know, afford a hardcover. A paperback is much more accessible. So that was also kind of a bummer that like that has now been taken away. The other thing that I, you know, have been bummed about is my book came out during like in i don't know what are we calling it season two of the pandemic <laughs> i mean like, you know people yes. people were getting vaccinated and people were talking about like hot vax summer but when we were like planning my book launch people still really weren't doing stuff in person people certainly were not planning book tours um and so you know i did virtual i did those virtual events which were great and and like in terms of accessibility were also great because i did get to you know reach a lot of people who wouldn't have been able to come to a live event but there is something really cool about a live event and that is 
also one of the like the fun promises of writing a book, which is such a solitary endeavor that like you publish it and you get to kind of celebrate it with people, with readers and with friends. And like, I didn't have a book party. I didn't have any in-person readings. And so that was kind of a bummer. And I was like, well, when my paperback comes out, I'll be able to do some of that. Like I had already book soup had already been like, well, we can have a, you know, if we're doing in-person stuff, we can have a reading for you with your paperback release. Cause they've been so supportive of the book. And you know, that is now not going to happen because I'm not going to have a paperback release. And so that's just been sort of like, want, want, like another one of those things where it's like, yeah, just a disappointment. That's well, it. It's like, you know, layer upon layer of, of yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so I don't know. I had a couple people were like, you can still have a party. You can have a one year post publication party. <laughs> and were you um, like, eh? I mean, there were a few people who offered to host parties for me, which was really sweet. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I don't, I don't want to say like anything is off the table. Um, but I was gonna, I was gonna see if you wanted to do a party. <laughs> you were? Yeah. I was talking to Aww. Anthony about it. Oh. And he was like, maybe wait, because like, is it a little annoying when someone's like just wanting, you know, you're just experiencing the disappointment and someone comes in and it's like, let's make it better and solve it with this thing. So I kept my mouth shut. Oh, okay. But if you want to host a party, we could do it in my backyard. That's so nice. I mean, you you already have many but offers. But you also Look. have a book coming, like you have a book coming out. Yeah, but I should be hosting out a party with you. No, I don't like parties. I get anxiety. I don't like the fact that you were sad that you're not having a book party. In my brain, it's like, oh, I, I'm excited to do in-person signings a lot. But when a party, like I, I didn't, I had a hard time enjoying my wedding. I don't like a birthday party. Interesting. Okay. I get, I get, um, I don't know. Not that I don't want to be celebrated. Right. But just anyway. not in that environment. Yeah. I don't know if I would be able to relax and enjoy a party in my honor. I don't, I don't know if I would, mm. if it would feel good for me. But you, like my book comes out in March. Yours would be in June. Plus it coincides kind of with your birthday. I mean, look, I had a lot of thoughts going on. Wow. About yeah. Aww. TMI. No, but that like, but let's, that makes me feel really good. Thank you. Oh, I'm glad. <sighs> so, yeah. So I guess. TLDR, if you are waiting for the paperback of my book, <laughs> uh, it's not coming. And hopefully you can just buy the hardcover or the ebook or the audiobook. And this is also like a good reminder, especially, you know, with Kate's book coming out, like really the best way to support authors is to, if it's within your means, is to buy their books because, you know, this is the way books will keep getting published. And do we only want a world where like the only books out there are by James Patterson's factory? You decide. <laughs> Listeners. That was not a rhetorical question. No, we don't. I agree. With all and due I... respect to James Patterson, of course, yeah, yeah, and of course. his many collaborators. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate the plug, Dory. I'm in I'm in uh major like go time in terms of book promotion and every pre-order is a massive help. And I'm also signing and personalizing copies if you pre-order from Romans or the Ripped Bodice. So if you want me to 
scribble your name with a heart, please. And link links to that um, are in the show notes. Thank you, Dory. I appreciate your generous promotion. Of course, Kate. <sighs> Disappointment is hard. Disappointment and, and is really hard. I think I texted this to you, but I I really appreciated that you shared. And you know what? We Thank received you. some nice listener, um, nice listener emails too to that were directed solely at you um, about it too. But it is it's very hard being vulnerable in that way and sharing disappointment. I think you make a good point about social media where we only want to present our successes, right? Like everything's going yeah. great. I am killing it. Right. And the truth is like we all have moments where that's just not that's just not what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <sighs> so, hmm. well, I mean, the nice thing is well, no, I don't have a good segue. <laughs> there is no nice thing. It just it just sucks. I'm sorry. It just sucks. It just sucks. And I, I want to make sure, you know, that you have space, like both as, you know, my friend and also my professional partner to just like be in your feelings. And thank you. Thank you, you know, Kate. Not have to. I think one thing that also happens when we experience disappointment, maybe you don't have this, but like we have the urge to like um, not let on that we're disappointed. You know, yes, like not fully totally. admit to that. Just be like, oh, it's fine. It's totally. just, it happens. It sucks. Yes. yes and not really yes. share the weight of how sad we are and how angry and frustrated and mm-hmm. upset. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure you have that space. Yeah. Yeah. But Kate, it seems like you have found something that sort of helps you navigate those disappointments. I don't know if it's like a thing I'll do. A lot, but I took a breath work workshop last night. Um, Color me intrigued. You know what? I actually think you should try it the next time it's offered. So it was, uh, it's an acquaintance who offered it um, to a group of uh, women that we're friends with. And they teach the breathing practice of a man named David Elliott. I had never heard okay. this person's name until last night. But if you want to Google kind of like the origin of this breath work that I was doing, it's um, from this dude named David Elliott. Now, I've done like breath work before, especially with my yoga practice. It's called pranayama. Um, and I like doing breathing. I actually enjoy breathing, like focusing on the breath more than I enjoy just trying to meditate. I know they go hand in hand, but... I enjoy doing like breathing practices a lot. And I find like doing four, seven, eight breathing really helps me calm my anxiety. Uh, You can give that a Google. My kids do that. Anyway, so I took this workshop and it was really invigorating. And everybody had really different experiences. Like, and there's a lot of emotional release that came up for people. And, and for me, it just felt, um, you know, sometimes I've done like a, a breathing or like a lying meditation and I'll fall asleep. You know, you get super relaxed. And in this, I felt like electrified. I felt a lot of physical sensation that was really interesting. So, you know, the, the idea is that you're moving energy around and out of the body. Ooh. Yeah, it was cool. 
you know, it has a, it, it's, it's, it's a bit of like an LA woo situation, but at this point, what's not LA woo? Hey, you know? Yes. Look, we live in LA. I mean, you can't avoid it at this point. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I haven't done anything like that. I would, you know, I, I miss doing that stuff in person. I do too. I miss stuff like that. I really, mm-hmm. really do. Just being in a room with people and it yeah. being quiet. Yeah. And there's like nice energy. Like I, I agree there's something nice about kind of doing it in your own space and kind of really leaning into the solitude. But there is also something really nice about doing it with other people and there's a nice energy in the room and I it's an intentional that. space. It's not, you know, yes. like you don't have yes, yes, yes. your like laundry basket next to you, which is what I was totally you know, yes. like. You kind of set yes. the scene a little bit better when yes. you and you're leaving your home. It was so weird too. Like when I was, I kept telling Anthony, I was like, at eight o'clock, I'm going to do my breathing class. And he thought I was leaving to go do it. And I was like, you still know, like, we're oh. in a pandemic and this involves like huffing air out of our <laughs> mouths. Like, this is the least. <laughs> We're not doing this in person yet. Uh, totally. But sometimes oh, it's so funny. easy to forget, you know? It is. It is. Um, well, Kate, we yes, should friend. we should tell our listeners about our very cool and interesting guest this week. Yeah, this was a really fun conversation. So we got to speak to Danielle Friedman. She's an award-winning journalist who specializes in telling stories at the intersection of health, sexuality, and culture, three of our favorite things. And her first book, which was just published in January, is called Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. And it is a great book. Our own Dori Shafrir blurbed the book, meaning she read it and provided an endorsement. So Dory is a fan. Um, Danielle's writing has appeared in the New York Times, New York Magazine's The Cut, Vogue, Glamour, Washington Post, to name but a few. She's a freelance development editor. She's just done a million things. She also worked on Fusion TV's Peabody-nominated television show, Sex Right Now. Yeah, she's really interesting. Her book is fascinating, and gets into stuff about like the history of fitness and exercise that I had no idea about. And then, you know, kind of brings it into today by talking about the connections between fitness and social justice. And it's just, it's a really interesting read and I really enjoyed our conversation. So we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we will be chatting with Danielle. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. 
It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings. There's nights out. It's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Super Power Short. The Super Power Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Hey, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say like I I I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires and just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, "Oh god, like get this off of me." <laughs> No, thank once you. Once you once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see how also, it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, 
Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast but I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm I hearing mean, those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Well, we are so excited today to have Danielle Friedman on the podcast. She wrote a book that I love so much that I blurbed it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're really excited to talk to you about self-care and fitness and your book and anything else you want to talk about. (laughs) So welcome to Forever Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you again for blurbing the book. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I was so I was happy to be asked. So thank you. Um, Well, Danielle, you probably know that we like to start our interviews by asking our guests about a self care practice that they have. So we'd love to know what yours is that you want to talk about. So I am very liberal in my um, in my seeking out of self care. I feel like I indulge in massages and manicures and pedicures Mm. and um, and various forms of exercise, which I know we will, we will get to. Um, But Mm -hmm. I actually think what feels like the most sort of the purest form of self-care that I practice right now is just involves my morning routine, um, which is Mm. I, so I never used to be a morning person. 
It was very much a night owl. And then since having my son, who's now three, almost three and a half, it has sort of forced me to become a morning person. But my ritual of just waking up before the sun rises, ideally like between five and 5.30, making myself a cup of coffee in like a mug (laughs) that I really enjoy that makes me happy um, because of the saying or design or whatever, and just sort of sitting in that pre-dawn dark and peace and allowing my brain and body to wake up while drinking a cup of coffee um, is has just become really like essential way for me to start the day and allows me to allows me to start the day feeling you know centered and calm and like I I'm the one (laughs) as much as possible sort of um, steering the ship so to speak. You know, I feel like not enough emphasis is given to the power of a good mug. Like we definitely all have our favorite <laughs> yes. mugs, right? Like as you were saying that, I was like, oh yeah, I have my favorite mug that if it's not there, if it's in the dishwasher, I'm like visibly yeah, annoyed like and let kind down. Kind of a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are, there's like a hierarchy of mugs. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wanted to take a moment to note that we have not really... um contemplated that yet on forever 35 i've sort of like inadvertently um accumulated a collection of of Mm. mugs that i love um i think maybe there's some like subliminal association between loving coffee so much and and loving that routine and then like loving the mug so um but it's nice because usually even if my all-time favorite mug is in the dishwasher i have i have a backup that makes me happy got the beast. I I didn't tell you this, but I recently got a new mug. Oh. I got a Yeti mug. Ooh, mm-hmm. I see. But you're using that for daytime drinking or is that more for travel? Um, it's for daytime drinking. It's one of their sort of squat coffee coffee cups? mugs. Yeah. I have one of those too. Oh my goodness. I mean, of course I do. <laughs> but I like but I also <sighs> like a, a standard ceramic mug for my morning coffee like i love a mug and now, and now i'm only gonna talk I'm, i've been well, getting up at 5 30 with my mm-hmm. dog and so i'm having the same 5 30 coffee time mm-hmm. right now and i love yeah. it i love I'm it so much that both of you can drink the coffee quickly enough that it doesn't get cold in a regular mug that's my problem that's why i use like a yeti or another sort of thermosy mug because mm. i i like to just sort of slowly sip my coffee and if i put it in a regular mug then it gets cold I tend to be like chugging and then adding more warm coffee mm. to keep it warm. That's oh, my okay. not the best. I, Danielle, I've what just about you? actually never been that bothered by like lukewarm coffee, which is mm, maybe okay. a blessing. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, but um, I, I also tend to like, without even realizing it, I'm just like, I am kind of like chugging it during that first 30 minutes. Yeah. Drinking it with gusto. Okay. Mm. All right. Is that is that a practice that you got into after having a child? Because oftentimes, I would say most of the time when one has a child, especially in those early years, you're waking up very early. Or is this something you did pre-parenthood? It's first of all, when as I'm trying to think about pre-plant parenthood, it is it is all a blur um, between the pandemic yeah. <laughs> and having a toddler. Like, what did I do? I know that when I before I went freelance about six years ago, like when I was working in an office, it was definitely not something I did. I would like, you know, press news five times and then like frantically rush to get myself ready and out the door. Um, 
But once I became a freelance journalist, um, I think I just, I definitely felt more of a sense of control over my mornings and my time. And I could kind of ease into things a little bit more. And I'm very fortunate because my son has always been really good about like hanging out in his crib, you know, <laughs> until I, until mm. it's I kind of like I'm ready to go get him, um, which I've heard from other parents is not common. But um, so I'll hear him sometimes like singing to himself or just like doing his thing. And um, but for the most part, I've been able to carve out that, you know, those few hours before our day really starts. I love that. Um, well, semi-related to the discussion of your son, but also related to your book, you, I want to talk a little bit about, well, actually, I want to talk a lot about your yeah, book. Right. <laughs> but first of all, in the introduction to your book, you write that it wasn't until you got pregnant that you, quote, began to truly appreciate the power of movement and strength. Mm. And then you write about using physical fitness after you gave birth to kind of feel in control mm -hmm. of your body again. Um, could you talk about that process? And I'm also curious how you feel about your body mm. now. Mm. Yes. Well, for me, um, my childbirth experience was a little bit harrowing. I had a, a normal pregnancy until, you know, around 34 and a half weeks. And then I like all of a sudden developed preeclampsia and had to have mm. uh, an emergency C-section. And so my son was born four and a half weeks early. And that experience was very, um, you know, it, it was harrowing and it was, and it, it required a long recovery process and healing process. Mm -hmm. Um, there was the physical recovery and there was the transition to new parenthood, you know, the, the sort of postpartum recovery that a lot of, or transition that a lot of women go through. Yeah. Um, but, but just getting over the, the shock of what happened, um, was a long journey for me. And so um, I'm, I know I'm very fortunate in this way, but it was really like the first time that I had felt, um, I hadn't felt as in control of my body. I had felt like maybe, this sounds like a, this is a, a strong word, but like my body had kind of betrayed me a little bit. Um, and I say mm. that with um, all of the gratitude in the world for the way that things turned out in the end, you know, but, um, but in any case, um, it was a new feeling for me. And so I, you know, I've, I'm a lifelong runner, very slow runner. I've always enjoyed being active and I've dabbled a different in different types of workouts, but it was during that postpartum period and really the year after having my son that I, that I, like I write in the book, just began to appreciate feeling strong and using my body in like a proactive, um, powerful way more, more than I ever had. And on a much deeper level, um, it also allowed me to kind of reconnect with my pre motherhood identity, which was really mm. important for me during that time. And, um, you know, just like muscle memory, um, I think can be very powerful and sort of reminding us of who we were and who we've been at different points in our lives and how we've moved at different, at different times in our lives. So it really was part of the, the healing process for me. 
Mm. And and was can you talk about your relationship to fitness throughout your life? I mean, how has it changed and developed on a on a personal level? I guess separate from your research as a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should say, you know, my personal connection to exercise was definitely a big part of why I was excited to take on mm. this project. And it just, the topic resonated for me on so many different levels. Um, I am, I am a lifelong runner. Um, I actually got into running mostly thanks to my dad, who is just a very, he's like the most enthusiastic, <laughs> passionate runner. And it's never been about, um, speed or competition. He he just sort of believes in it in an almost like philosophical meditative way. So seeing his enthusiasm and joy for it growing up made me interested in it. I tried to run track and cross country in high school, but I was not fast. And, and I could kind of only uh, <laughs> deal with that <laughs> for a couple for a season of, of each. Um, and so it took me a while to come back to it uh, in my 20s and 30s. Um, And I write in the book that even though a part of me loved it just for, you know, for the activity itself, and I and I was influenced by my dad, I was also equally influenced by the idea that running was a way to, you know, become thin, look like the women that I or the, you know, the girls, the classmates, the whoever that I that I idolized, so that I felt like, um, if I looked more like them, you know, um, parts of my life would maybe be different. Um, and and then, um, yeah, so it, it, it was really heading into my my late 30s, you know, as I as I have gotten older, as I became a mother and as I just uh, have gained some perspective on, you know, my life that I've sort of, it's, it's taken on a more important role as a, like a mental health tool and a, and a, a true form of self-care. Um, I also, I do love bar and I feel bar will forever hold a very special place in my heart because it kind of mm. provided the, the origin story for, <laughs> for the entire book project. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we talk a little bit about bar in particular? Oh, bar. <laughs> yes, please. Um, so you had written a story for The Cut in 2018. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that right? Um, about bar. And that, like you said, this that kind of was the impetus for putting together this um, this mm-hmm. book. What What is it about? Well, I guess two questions. What is it about bar that you love so much mm-hmm. that gives you so much fulfillment. And can you talk also a little bit about the origins of bar for the benefit of people who may not have read your article or your book? What is, what was so, um, I'm, I'm kind of chuckling because I did read your book. So I do know about the origins of bar, but, but you know, what was, what was kind of so surprising and interesting about mm. those origins that, you know, made you want to write a whole book about fitness? Sure. Um, well, I'll start with the first question, what I personally enjoy about bar. So I had been warned before I ever stepped into a studio that it was like deceptively hard, you know, incredibly hard. Um, 
even though it's so it's it's a strength based workout for those who don't know where you which is largely performed at a ballet bar and on a mat and you're doing these teeny tiny little resistance movements um that have a way of sort of working like every muscle in your body and muscles you literally didn't know you had or places that you didn't know you could you could get sore in um and so i found that the combination of just the focus that bar required to kind of like it's, it's kind of complicated to hear all the cues and to try to follow along um combined with the the um the challenge of it it made it you know it was almost meditative because all I when I was in that room, mm. I couldn't think about anything else. Um, and whenever I leave a studio, um, and in those early days, especially, you know, I would just um, just feel sort of like the word that comes to mind, honestly, is like cleanse. There was something cathartic about it, and I would feel light on my feet, mm. and I would just feel, I would just feel like very alive, um, and. I also was kind of predisposed. I had read, there's been some funny writing about Barr and I, I owe a debt of gratitude to the women writers who have written about Barr before me. Um, Jesse Klein has a hilarious section about Barr in her book and Primates of Park Avenue. So I was, there was this little intrigue to it. But um, but getting back to the origins of, of my book. So I started doing Barr. I really enjoyed it. Um, I also noticed that like the class was pretty much built on the pelvic tilt and the, the, you know, the tuck. So throughout every move, the instructor saying like, tuck your pelvis. And, and there was, there were other moves where we were lying on the ground, with our pelvises like thrusting in the air. And (laughs) I know it well. And I thought it was also kind of hilarious that everyone was doing this with a very straight face. You know, there was no one was like acknowledging that this was sort of funny. And, um, in a, in a like comically erotic way. And so at that time I thought I wanted to write a story, um, about looking into whether there were actual sexual health benefits to, to bar. Like the original Hmm. story was going to be like, is a bar class just 50 minutes of Kegels? Um, so (laughs) as I started investigating, I stumbled on the story of Lottie Burke, uh, who, is the who invented bar in 1959. Um, it really the contemporary workout really traces back to her. And Lottie Burke <laughs> is this incredibly larger than life, complicated, deeply flawed, and fascinating figure. She um she had been a dancer in Germany. Uh, she's she was Jewish and she had to flee the Nazis in the 1930s. She fled to London. Um, When she struggled to find work, she ended up creating this workout as a way to earn a living. Um, And she was in her 40s by the time she opened up her her studio. She was also, and this was really the focus of my piece for the cut, um, she was this like free love revolutionary. She was extremely open Mm. about sex. She was in an open marriage and then she was in, I mean, and that was just the beginning. She, she was like very, very uh, forthright about her lovers. She wanted her workout to be a way for women to connect with their sexuality and improve their sex lives. And she named many of the moves in class, these like very explicit names, there was the prostitute and there was a move called the sex. So, um, 
This was, you know, right as the sex, it was pre-sexual revolution heading into the sexual revolution. And then as the swinging 60s took off in London, she became like the perfect figure for that time and became a a local celebrity. Um, So her story was just, and that's just like the tip of the iceberg, but her story was so, was so fascinating and unexpected to me. And I think in particular, because bar today, you know, there are these huge bar franchises and it can feel very, can feel kind of corporate. It can feel a little sterile, a little prim. And the contrast between that and where it started was just really, you know, interesting to me. And um, Mm -hmm. yes, I I would go on to discover that there were these Lottie Burke-like figures and, and in many cases, you know, fascinating origin stories behind so many of the workouts that we do today. Wow. Isn't it called the Lottie method? Like, isn't that, I feel like I used to see that. Um, I, I guess I just used to see her referred to anytime I went to some sort of variation of this, which in LA there's a there, I mean, pre pandemic, there was like a bar studio yes. on every corner. Yeah. I mean, it became such a phenomenon in the aughts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, In the early 1970s, an American expat who had been taking her classes in London brought Lottie's Method to New York City, to the Upper East Side, and named the studio the Lottie Burke Method. And that became this, it was this, you know, hugely popular with sort of Upper East Side um, influencers at the time with celebrities and socialites and writers. and, um, And it was at that studio that many of the people who went on to to create the most popular bar franchises today got their start you know they they trained there they were instructors there so it really is in many ways it's a pretty direct like you can trace the contemporary industry back to that studio which traces back to Lottie what what do you think someone like Lottie or, you know, some other of the early fitness pioneers that you write about in your book, like mm-hmm. Bonnie Prudden, um, what do you think they would think about kind of the new awareness of like health at every size, mm. body positivity, body neutrality, et cetera? Um, because they seem, well, whatever, I'll, I'll let you, I'll <laughs> yeah, let you respond. <laughs> it's a great and, and, Great question. And I think the answer is so, um, there are many layers to it. Um, yeah. When Bonnie Pruden, who, you know, was first starting out, um, Pruden, thank you. A lot of people say Pruden. It's, <laughs> it's a tricky one. She, um, so she really rose to prominence in the late 1950s and 1960s. And, um, she was very much ahead of her time in promoting, vigorous exercise for women and encouraging women to develop muscles and to um, use their bodies in a really physical way that was that was deemed by some as unladylike. However, um, and even though she herself bucked all kinds of gender norms, like she was a award-winning mountain, you know, pioneering mountain climber and skier, and she she kind of anyway, like many ways ran with the boys, she also um, she also sold fitness to women as a as a path to weight loss and to shaping their figure and to being attractive. Um, she in her in in one of her books, um, 
This one happened to be an instant bestseller, How to Keep Slender and Fit After 30, which again, every time I hear that title, I'm like, after 30? Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she... Um, she advises that readers basically like strip down in front of the mirror and take a really close look, you know, at all of their so-called flaws so they know what they need to fix. Um, so one way of looking at that is that, um, and Bonnie recognized that selling strength for strength's sake to women at that time or to the culture at large at that time would never have, you know, gone over and selling fitness as a way to become more attractive was, um, like was more palatable with smart business. Um, I'm sure not, not, uh, appreciating the sort of destructive aspects of that mentality. I think she genuinely thought she was, she was doing people a service. Um, mm. but I think the, what we, you know, and, and actually that stripped down front, naked in front of a mirror, assess your flaws and bulges and whatever. That was like a, I, I saw that often in fitness guides throughout the second half of the 20th century and particularly around mid-century. Um, but what we now know about, um, about fitness and fatness and body size, uh, you know, the way that the, the medical, um, research around exercise and, and fit bodies has evolved. Um, I think, you know, she, I, I think she was kind of working with what, what she had at the time. Um, and, and if she were still around today and, and looking at some of the updated research that basically, um, you know, indicates that, uh, body size, body size and fatness is not the problem. I I'd like to think that she would adjust her, her ways of thinking accordingly. You raise an interesting point because I, th and I think one thing that you address so well, and that I've had a hard time wrapping my brain around is this idea of enjoying fitness, but removed from diet culture mm -hmm. and, um, body image and and you speak with with um some women in your book who are more focused on this but i'm i'm curious after all the research that you've done how how are we able to or how how do you think and if maybe this is not possible we can enjoy fitness and seek it out and find pleasure in it without it being related uh i guess to to diet culture in in a broader sense is that even possible I do think it's possible. I mean, I think every, every, I think every woman is sort of every person, um, uh, is, is on their own journey with this. And, um, yeah. you know, for me, um, part of why I wanted to embark on this project was just to gain a deeper understanding into how fitness and beauty culture and diet culture became so intertwined. Um, because, and I say this in the book, it's not like even, even knowing everything that I know now do after spending four years studying the history of fitness and being, you know, a feminist myself, um, I still am often motivated to exercise because I want to lose a few pounds or look differently in clothes or wear a different type of outfit, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, um, I mean, on one level, I, I, we, we know, 
you know, we know from scientific research that we're most likely to stick with an exercise regimen when there's a really clear cut incentive. And I think because of the way we've been conditioned, like looking, fitting, you know, uh, wearing jeans that fit a little bit more loosely is like a very tangible goal. Whereas warding off disease, uh, achieving Mm. wellness, you know, and this, which is so amorphous can just feel, um, much, much less motivating. Um, so I think, and I, I'm still figuring this out and scrappling with this like every day. But I mean, I think that at least going into our workouts with a really clear eyed understanding of like what about them, you know, of our motivations, if we want to change the way we look, why we want to change the way we look, what we're really hoping to like, if you take that a step further, what we're really hoping to achieve by doing that Um, and honing in on the parts that make us just feel really good, you know, the parts that, um, yeah, yeah that make us feel proud of ourselves and improve our mental health and, you know, are totally devoid of, of shame. Um, I think that's a good place to start and, um, and just sort of following that feeling. And maybe that means, um, maybe that means training for a marathon. Maybe that means going, you know, giving up your hit workouts and just trying to take a nice walk every day. Um, I think it will mean different things for different Mm. women different people. Okay. So let's take a pause and we will be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid forties, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay. Which is okay. I visible know. on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like creppiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, 
acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay, here we are. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the women in your book or not in your book who are kind of doing important work in the field of fitness as a social justice issue and how that has become more important um, in the last few years? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so the the first chapter of my book is titled Reduce, and that's the Bonnie Pruden era when Reduce was, you know, a euphemism for losing weight. Um, and the last chapter mm. of my book is Expand. And that was very intentional. And um, as I worked on the book, Expand came to have, you know, many different meanings, expanding idea of what a fit body looks like, who has access to fitness and who fitness is for, um, and what fitness itself looks like, what the activities, you know, what counts as, as exercise. Um, so that chapter is really the most forward looking one. And it's, it's where I do talk about fit, you know, the, the contemporary class of pioneers who see fitness as a social justice issue. Um, I interviewed and I profiled Jessamine Stanley, who would be, her, you know, I know she, she has become a superstar, very familiar to probably a lot of your listeners. Um, uh, Jessamine is, she self-identifies as, as fat. She's queer. She's a woman of color. And for her, um, she has written and spoken a lot about how much she has gained from her yoga practice. And for those who don't know, she, um, yoga is her, is her, um, primary form of, of movement. And, you know, she has reaped these tremendous rewards. And so she is trying to create, uh, greater access and opportunities for, for more people so that they can benefit in the same way. Um, I also profile Sadie Kurzban, who started 305 Fitness, and she feels similarly about the power of movement to, um, you know, to basically, she, she describes it as like arming the rebels, but just to, in a very true sense, empower people. And I'm very hesitant to use that word because I think it gets very overused, but, um, but it kind of boils down to like when people feel good about themselves, when they have that physical competence and physical confidence, they're in a better position to, um, you know, be engaged citizens and and um, and also just to be happy, healthy people out in the world. Um, I, I there's many, you know, there's there are so many different facets to this because. 
um, fitness in this country is still, you know, it's, it's very much still a privilege and not a right. And, um, yeah, at the same time, we're very, we're still pretty quick as a society to make, um, assessments and to judge people's sort of inner worth and moral character based on their outer appearance. And that's frustrating on so many levels and in jest, but, but in particular, because there are so many social factors that, um, prevent people from, from exercising and from engaging, you know, using their bodies in ways that, that promote both mental and physical health. Um, so I really believe what these, I mean, and, and those are just two of the, the people, two of the growing army of people who are kind of, who, who see fitness that way and um, who are, who are working just to create greater access. How about the relationship um, to fitness and spirituality? Because uh, I do think a lot of people, like you were speaking about your father mm. and his relationship to running and how it really becomes this meditative practice and, you know, it's, there's, it's such a fine line because in so many ways there's, there can be a spiritual connection through mm -hmm. movement. Then there can also be cultural appropriation and whitewashing yes. and all sorts yes. of other things. And so uh, what do you see as some of the, the positives and negatives when it comes to, you know, that connection between spirituality, mindfulness and, and fitness? Mm. Well, yeah. So like over the past few decades, you know, participation in organized religion has been on the decline and, and just uh, young people's, the number of young people, the percentage who identify as being observant has, has been on the decline. And so <clears throat> to a large extent, um, fitness leaders and gyms have kind of risen to to take their place for many people. Um, you know, yeah. the fitness, the fitness leader and guru as like, as life guru and spiritual guru has become a, a real paradigm. And that can be very helpful for some people, but it can also be very dangerous, you know, because there's some of these people have great intentions and know what they're doing and others not so much. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I think there is still sort of a, a it, it's, a good idea to have a gut check if you're somebody who finds yourself being really drawn in by a by a fitness leader who dabbles in the spiritual um like um making sure that you're that they're actually you know <laughs> that they are positively contributing to your life and the way you feel about yourself and your goals um and you know not and just remembering that they're 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 just people who are um in some cases have risen to the top of their field based on sort of force and cult of personality. Um, I think, you know, I do think like with exercise, um, it's very important to like find your people and find your thing. And if one, if you try something that just feels like way too woo woo or, you know, there, there is likely something else out there for you that, um, that, would be a good fit. Um, but the, it, it, it gets, it does get pretty fraught, especially when you talk about like yoga and, and cultural appropriation. Yeah. I've been, <laughs> do, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on that myself and just figuring out my, my part in that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
It's been very uh, illuminating. There's a lot of learning I feel like I have left to do mm. in that area. It's tricky. Mm -hmm. <sighs> um, Danielle, before we wrap up, I would love to just hear about some of the research and reporting you did for the book. Mm -hmm. um, because you talk about so many things, like so many aspects of fitness that I feel like we take for granted today, like yes, a sports totally. <laughs> um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about that process and just also generally, like what were some of the more surprising things you learned? Um, my research for the book was so much fun. I'm very, I feel very fortunate mm. because I loved I really did love like every aspect of the process of researching and writing this book. Um, and so the research sort of fell into like three or four categories. There was that I interviewed a number of people that we would consider fitness legends. Not, I, I, I was so, you know, I, I'm very grateful because I interviewed so many that not even, they didn't even all make it into the final narrative, but I, Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. It was still great to hear their stories. I interviewed every like everyday women who lived through the history of, in these pages um, or who taught aerobics or, you know, bar at a sort of local level. Um, I did a review of scholarly writing into fitness, feminism, body image, um, all of the, the themes that I talk about. And then... I did a tremendous amount of archival research. And if I were to turn my screen just a little bit, <laughs> uh, if I were to pan out, you would see I've mm. sort of accumulated this like massive library of vintage fitness guides, tapes, records, wow. um, mm. which I can't get enough of. I've always really been fascinated by um, just like, you know, by, by archives and particularly archives that deal with like 20th century women and feminism. And so this, that part was just really, really fun, especially to see how like the language around women and women's bodies and norms mm. evolved through the decades. Um, as far as what was surprising on a broad level, I mean, at the beginning of this project, I was definitely surprised by how recent so much of this history is because women's fitness is such, it's so ubiquitous today. It's such a massive industry. Um, it can feel like it was always here and women always had the same opportunities that they do today. But um, I interviewed many, many women who grew up in the, you know, in the fifties, anywhere from the forties to the sixties. And so many of them talked to me about how, um, once they, you know, even if they had been active as little girls, once they hit puberty, it really was taboo to use their bodies in the same way that, that men did when it came to, you know, physical activities, sports, um, and, and exercise. So like the recentness of the history, some of the myths that, that were so pervasive, um, back when my book begins, like the fact that if you pushed yourself too hard, your uterus would fall out. That was the, <laughs> um, that, that one gets me every time. And then there were, yeah, there were these kind of just um, hidden histories, you know, woven within the larger history that I was telling. Um, the creation of the sports bra, it, the fact that it wasn't created until 1977 really did, uh, or invented, I should say, blew my mind. 
I had no idea that women were not allowed to run an Olympic marathon until 1984. I mean, that's like, to me, just like shockingly recent. Um, and I loved learning about also how interconnected so many of the players in the industry were, like who influenced who. And um, I wanted to really create that cohesive narrative to show how one thing evolved into the next and what was happening more broadly in the country at that time was influencing fitness culture. So hopefully readers will find that there are a lot of like delightful little surprises sprinkled throughout. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, Dory and I are both from Boston mm. and like women weren't allowed to run the Boston marathon until the 70s. 72. Like, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's bonkers, yeah. you know? And then you think about how you can't even imagine women being told they can't run a marathon exactly. today, but it was not that long exactly. ago. Exactly. Yes. I say delightful surprises. Some are also sort of like terrible right. surprises, but <laughs> <laughs> galvanizing. Um, yes. I mean, um, and just, you know, women weren't allowed to have their own line of credit until, until the seventies. And yeah. so, um, looking at how some of the social changes that were happening were, were impacting fitness and women's career opportunities there and self-determination, um, was very interesting to me. Well, Danielle, it has been a pleasure a learning experience, mm-hmm. just a delight to talk to you today. Um, can you let our listeners know where they can find you um, if they want to kind of follow along? Yes, yes. Um, well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, you can find me uh, on Instagram at Danielle Friedman Writes. And I I share a lot of um, like vintage fitness images and, and uh ephemera <laughs> and and more serious things there but um that's where i live the most i'm also on twitter at d friedman writes and you can find me on my website danielle-friedman.com well thank, thank you. you again this is really thank fun. you guys so much for me too kate did our conversation with danielle make you want to do any like old school workouts like the jane fonda workout <laughs> you know i would be curious about doing like a jazzercise yeah like same. some sort of fun aerobics dance totally. class that i feel like was the 80s like peak 80s but that actually is really pleasurable and enjoyable i mean one thing that i'm really sad about is that I never got to attend class with Richard Simmons because Richard Simmons used to yeah, teach a class too. every Saturday in Los Angeles, you know, up until like five or six years ago. And I do feel like there was a lot of just like fun, simple choreographed dancing that I miss. I would love to do that again. So, Kate, I want to just report that there there's Jazzercise Studios in the greater Los Angeles area. Seriously? Yes, we could go to one together. I would 100% go Jazzercise. Because okay. I don't even think I know what Jazzercise is. I don't I think, think I it's do like either. a word I just use as a joke, basically. Totally. But yeah. it's, it's dance. It's a dance workout. Yeah. That's and fun. Also, okay. it, looks like, it looks like they also offer some live streams. So that's also intriguing to me. Anyway. Well, look, maybe we'll, this is we'll the talk. year we, we get into Jazzercise. Maybe it we is. are in our forties. 
I mean, look, look. I you were doing you Broadway know, dance. I um, I always wanted to open a gym. I well, I always wanted to open an '80s themed gym oh. that would just offer like you know, jazzercise, Jane Fonda's workouts, step aerobics. Um, people would wear leotards. There'd be thigh masters, just thigh masters everywhere. Yes, exactly. Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, there's so many fun, like there's Pony Sweat, which is an LA based, really super inclusive, non-judgmental, non-competitive dance class that is online now. There's Dance Church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, There's so mm -hmm. many great, um, you know what? Actually, a teacher that I loved um, in New York, this woman, Patricia Moreno, just passed away. Yeah. And I used to take her class in New York called Intensati. Have you ever taken mm-hmm. that? You have? I, I took it at Equinox. She used to teach it at Equinox like yes, way back in I, the day. That's where I took it. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And it was like a dance kickboxing class where you also like shouted positive affirmations. Mm-hmm. It was super intense. She was, was kind of ahead of her time. Yes. She was great. She was a fascinating, um, fascinating person. Yeah. And I'm very sad that she passed away. Ugh, well. Anyway. Let's intention. Besides jazzercise, what are our intentions? Well, you know what? Your intention. My intention was actually, yeah. So I guess I should update everyone about my foot situation. Yeah, what's going Um, on with Dory's boot? Well, I did see my doctor a few days ago. And he gave me his blessing to wean myself off my boot. He also cleared me to do Peloton, but he was like, listen, you know, listen to your body. Don't basically like, don't go too hard. Um, But I have gotten back on the Peloton, which has felt really good. So, you know, my intention last week was to ease my way back into exercising. And I would say that I have done that. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And then this week, um, you know, I've been, I'm still taking piano lessons and I, I, I like, I, there were a few weeks there where I feel like I, I wasn't like, I, I still was practicing, but I feel like I wasn't like really practicing. And I, and I'm now like challenging myself to memorize some of the things that I've been working on. And that's really fun. And so I'm going to work on that this week. Get back to those jams. Yeah. Exactly. Good, Dory. I hope you find some joy. Thank you. Well, speaking of joy, Kate, how is puppy joy going? Oh, my God. I mean, I'm tired, but I'm really... There is a real, like, pushes me to be in the present when I'm with Penny the puppy. Mm. You know, I'm not looking at my phone. I'm just, like, playing with the dog. And I get up with her every morning at 5.30 right now which is really early, but I actually really enjoy it. Like I sit outside with her and I kind of watch the sun come up and listen to the birds. And it's been really enjoyable. She's a very pleasant dog. And, Mm. you know, aside from the fact that she wants to chew everything and sometimes still takes giant pisses in our house, I'm really loving her. Aww. Yeah. She's a great addition to the family. It's been really, it's been really fun. Also, like people are so sweet. They've been like, how is Lucy handling it? And like, they play Lucy's never played with other dogs, but they play so much outside. So that's been really fun to watch. And Lucy's definitely the boss right now, which is also very good because Lucy's oh, a real beta creature. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I'm happy to report we're all settling in nicely. 
Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. It's all going okay. And, you know, this week, look, I know I've mentioned it a bunch, but I have a book coming out. Mm-hmm. It's now my turn to be the person with the book coming out on the podcast. And mm-hmm. you'll be hearing about it for the next month or so. It comes out on March 15th. And, you know, it's really interesting. I'm just trying to be intentional about my feelings, not stress about it and enjoy the experience of of getting to do this. This is something I've wanted to do for a long time. I'm proud of myself. And I just want to like go into this with confidence and calm. So that's what I'm focusing on, you know, just kind of like not stressing myself out, not getting worked up, not overreacting to a negative book review or yeah. which I did spend a week spiraling about. But, yeah. you know, it, it's it's all part of the process. I've received some really wonderful feedback on it. And I appreciate everyone who has pre-ordered it or, you know, someone, Dory, someone bought a ticket to fly into our uh, my event at the Ripped Bodice, that's like a so Forever 35 cool. listener. Someone's flying. So, I, I mean, that's amazing. I can't I love wait. That I can't so wait to get much. to see humans. Ugh. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. So anyway, fun. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, uh, co- building confidence in all parts of one's life, I feel like is maybe my bigger focus. Mm. And calm, confidence and calm. Those are my words of 2022. I like that. I like that. <sighs> <sighs> well, Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrir and Kate Spencer, and it's produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager. Our network partner is ACAST. Thank you all so much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>